Imagine a world in which post-traumatic stress no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people it is so true. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't want to, I, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week, we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I just remember being able to stand by the water and look up at the sky and hear the noises, and I didn't think they were gunshots. I was like, those are Disney fireworks. I don't even know what to imagine for myself now, my future, because I have one. This is Life After PTSD. On today's episode of Life After PTSD, we sort of take some time to step back and reflect on what we've been learning over the past 18 months or so of doing the show. And today on the line, I've got with me my buddies, Alan Canerva up in, I almost said Toronto, Alan. How dare I insult Guelph, Ontario, the merry old land of Guelph. How are you first? I'm great, thanks. Awesome. Uh, you can tell it's not winter. It's, uh, yeah, the great white north is, I'm a little disappointed. Did you sit outside today just to prove that Canada is not like in perpetual snow? Is that the deal? I did. All right. Well, okay. Point taken. And then Carrie Russo of First Orlando Counseling. And uh, what's up, Carrie? How you doing today? Come in and say hey. Hey. Um, guys, we're going to talk today. We just finished 100th episode of the show and uh, ended up splitting that into two parts because the stories were just amazing of bringing back some old friends and having them uh, tell their stories. I mean, I, I, on the one hand, you know, it kind of was, I, if I can just be honest, we wanted to gloat a little bit just to say and not... You know, not to really brag about our stuff, but just kind of say, look, these guys are still doing okay. I think there's a lot of skepticism out there that, you know, that we face in, in the first place, but um, so that we have to overcome. And then uh, then when we do tell the stories, it's like, okay, well, where are they now? And so we dropped six of those on that 100th episode that basically said, yeah, here's where they are now, right? Still thriving, still living that new normal of their deciding keywords, right? And, uh, and yet in that conversation, you know, it really inspired and provoked some thought in us about Man, we've come a long way since that first episode dropped on December 30th of 2018 in terms of what we've learned. I mean, we're still doing the same thing, still working with trauma and, and, and working to clear trauma and everything, but we've learned a lot. And so I thought today we could have, you know, just a conversation and maybe update the listeners of, you know, our show. Here's where we are in August of, you know, or I guess this will probably drop in September of, of 2020. Here's, here's what we now believe about trauma. Here's how maybe our thinking has has slightly shifted or evolved or whatever. So what do you think, guys? What do you think about that for a topic today? I think it's great. So, Alan, I'm going to start I with would... you. Um, you know, we started back, you know, that first show and literally did an episode where basically, you know, I'm sitting around and saying, hey, guys, stick your head in front of a microphone here and let's talk. And I'm in sort of amazement, disbelief, all of those emotions all at the same time. Um having just witnessed a few people at a training just be cleared of trauma that I, I I mean what I witnessed was not possible in my opinion at that time right and so I said all right let's sit down and talk about this because there is uh there's something here um but as amazing as that was Alan that the, the protocol that you were training in at the time I mean your thinking has evolved in, in that and you've changed some of the things that that you've um in in sort of your practice and everything what, what are some of the things that you would say you've learned in in that year and seven months or eight months whatever since that time um, um so just before I answer that you know it's really good to be back on the show with you guys and, and to talk about where we are now I, I think about um 
the organization I was with and the work they did, did the very best um, that anybody's ever did for NLP. It was the first hardcore and it on, it's ongoing. That organization, the research and recognition organization continues to do the leading edge research into uh, trauma using NLP. So they're validating NLP. And um, so they're doing probably some of the most amazing work at advancing NLP and getting NLP into the mainstream while concurrently doing some things that are setting back the treatment of trauma simultaneously. Because when they manualize the approach to NLP and they document it in this rigorous 89 or 100 line protocol that you have to say verbatim, they, they, they took an academic uh, military approach to structuring that protocol and, and, you know, we all know as coaches and counselors that uh, when you're in a relationship with someone, it's more fluid than that, right? That it's more fluid than that, that you have to be more present than that. And that, you know, that we don't need this pand uh, pedantic, rigorous structure where you say line one, then line two, then line three, then line four. And I actually think that, again, they advanced the field of research farther than anybody had. And they continue to do it. Like right now, they've got two studies going on, one at Walter Reed Hospital side by side with pro prolonged exposure and one at King's College in, in, in London, side by side with trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we're going back to our roots, going back to who we are and getting back from in the front of the classroom for that organization, teaching this rigorous um, protocol to only license mental health care workers. That was the other thing, right, guys? We were only teaching licensed mental health care workers. And yet, people in the room, <laughs> there, there were some people attending in the background now who have now gone out and got trained in doing uh, trauma-focused NLP who are now working with people. So I, I think that in that, those 18 months uh, since we did the first episode and, and a year and a bit since I left that organization, um, what we see is a groundswell of, of people coming to the fore. And because we're all talking, our community's bigger about healing the injury of trauma and and that it's not only possible it happens day after day after day you carry in your clinic you know you guys are probably uh healing i don't i don't even know if you have 12 clinicians working you're probably doing an average of uh 80 to 100 traumas a month you know somewhere in that neighborhood so you think about that 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 in one small practice 14 12 14 people in orlando changing 100 people's lives a month that's amazing to me it, it, it is amazing. Carrie, your your team has now been trained. Why don't you speak to that? And uh, first of all, is that number accurate? Is it more? Is it, you know, what do you think on that, to Alan's point? I think it's even higher than that, Jeff, because I think that when we look at all the clients that we see that we're changing people's lives, it may not be the exact trauma per se, like a firefighter or a first responder or a, a veteran, but we all have some kind of trauma decisions we've made um people that we you know hurt our feelings or people that have passed away grief can be trauma I and mean, there's so many things like just last week we had a few weeks ago birth trauma there's so many things that are not typical trauma but that we're using the trauma protocol with and um and so that so i think it's way more than than just 80 or 100 people's lives that we're changing because i think we can use this protocol in so many different Carrie, to that point, um, you know, one of the themes throughout the many episodes that we've done has been just talking about the many faces of PTSD. And uh, I think even still for me walking away from that first episode, 
you know, I'm still thinking about military and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, having seen so many um, faces since, like you said, the birth traumas and so many other things that that definitely has blown my mind. I think that um, I, I think that part of the, the progress we can make is let go of the term PTSD because PTSD comes out of the medical community and comes out of DSM-5. And, and I think you had a speaker, uh, Dr. Diego, on before who spoke really clearly to the, the caveat in the DSM-5 that, that actually says we see things through the lens of an illness so we can diagnose and prescribe, right? And, and so, you know, and, and, and so all of society has taken on a term that the medical community created and uses for their purpose. It doesn't serve the person with trauma. It serves the purpose of the medical community. It's the person doing the diagnosis who benefits, not the person who is diagnosed often. And, and so if we, if we let that go and we just say emotional trauma, and then that speaks to what Carrie says then. You know, you could have an interrelationship trauma. You could have a birth trauma. You could have a car accident trauma. You could have a, a business decision that failed and you keep playing that memory incessantly day after day. You have nightmares about it, but you will not get a formal diagnosis of PTSD. And then, and then as Carrie said, let's just help those people get past that and move on. And so I think, I think um, in, in, the, in the genesis of what we're doing, you know, and, and, and my message, if you see my message out publicly, it's, it, I, I try and, I'm trying to get rid of the term PTSD as much as possible. I'm not successful yet, but I just say trauma is, emotional trauma is an injury that can heal. Emotional trauma, and, and we prove it every day. Alan, let's have a let's have a conversation on that real quick, if we could. All right, we we have a show called Life After PTSD, obviously, and uh, the original thinking of that was was people who are experiencing life after they have overcome that PTSD. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're making the argument like the terminology is all wrong, and our life after PTSD should also include the idea of walking away from that term altogether. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Is that am I hearing you right on that? I can unpack it. Okay, because. Um, one of the things, mentioning Doc Diego, one of the things he talks about is it's often a sleep, memory, and performance issue. And if you think about our issues in general, emotionally, they often affect sleep, memory, performance, and not memory so much like I can't remember something, but just like we were talking off air earlier, I'm remembering what happened before and I'm rem remembering it all around negative things instead of, you know, I, I could reconsolidate it with possibly something positive or just differently. So if you think of trauma as a sleep memory and performance issue, then, then it becomes totally something totally different. Correct. Absolutely correct. And, you know, we talk about relieving the stigma of mental illness. Well, you know, when the DSM-5 in the medical community, the psychiatric community has a, a term that they label you with, but if you just had a sleep memory and, and performance issue <laughs> and that it can heal, there's no stigma to that. And I don't care if I'm a firefighter, an EMS, uh, a person who works in an office who was abused. I, I just deal with that issue and I clear it. And, and you know, and we get into the fundamentals of, of, of psychology and memory you know, um, we're traumatized by the memory of something and we, we're not remembering, we're not remembering the facts. We're remembering our map of that territory, our, our representation of what really happened. And we're talking, and, and I'll reiterate it, 
the, the, the neural the neuroscience of how much information we're bombarded with and how much we actually let into our head, it, there's a delta, there's a gap of 2 million bits per second approximately down to about 134 bits per second that actually gets inside your head and that you determine your world by. So imagine that you're deleting 1.99 million bits of information per second about the real experience and you're hanging on to 134 and then you put words to that and the words, when we think, we create chemistry in our body. Chemistry creates feelings. Feelings create behavior. But the 134 bits weren't the actual event. They're just our map of the territory. So the work that we do collectively, all of us, goes back and examines that 134 bits. And right now, we've got the best technology. The technology we use with the trauma protocol is laser focused on that 134 bits per second. And we alter it in a way that... The modern research on the consolidation and reconsolidation memory say that when you activate a memory, make it malleable and impact the 134 bits per second, you can actually make that memory go into a different construct and form. And, and, I, and I'll just say one last thing. There's a doctor in Holland that's using propanol to do it. So she gets the client to reactivate the memory and then she jacks them up with propanol, which makes them feel euphoric while they're having the memory. Now, when it goes into long-term memory, next time they have the memory, it's not triggering. We don't have to have chemicals and injections and doctors. We do it in a conversation, right? Yes. And that taking that to a practical situation, um, because when I first heard that, I thought, okay, so we can do that with Christmas, right? Maybe there was a bad moment at Christmas, but we can reconsolidate the memory and make Christmas be better. But how do you do that with something, you know, somebody who's been abused or in childhood? You know, are we really going to go back and find a good, happy memory for that? And it's been amazing because I've actually seen it happen in the office where um, someone who had hor horrible abuse went back and in reconsolidating memory remembered a friendship that she had forgotten or a friend that was there or somebody that helped her or somebody that tried to help her that she didn't know what to tell them. But suddenly she's getting resources that she had forgotten were ever even, they were never available to her before. I mean, they, they were, but she was so caught up in the, the negative piece of the trauma and everything that happened, which it was horrible, but she was able to, in fact, she actually reconnected with a friend after this. She picked up the phone and called and said, Hey, when you reached out to try to help me, you didn't know how bad it was was going on, and thank you for being there. It was just it was just an interesting way of reconsolidating something. So, so Jeff, you said a, a profound thing. You said so. Let me get on this life after PTSD for a minute. So, when we first met, and you guys met, you know, and, and you guys know I'm on a bit of a crusade. This is uh, I, I joke. This is my last mission, but I'm going to do it for another twenty or thirty years. Um, I, I was talking about individuals at a granular level having life after PTSD, but you're so right that, 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 you know, that we're moving past the era of PTSD. <laughs> to be honest, if, if we chunk up using NLP terms, if we chunk up, we're moving past. We need to move past the stigma of PTSD by letting go of the term of PTSD and talk about emotional trauma and talk about the fact that it's an injury that can heal, that not only the individual has life after PTSD, but societally, that life's gonna move past PTSD. And, and that the show's name, Life After PTSD, is talking about this individual movement at a granular level and societal movement at a, uh, at a macro level. And this, this subscribes into Dr. Ben's work as well. You know, we could talk about life after Newtonian physics, to be honest. You, you listen to Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, all the quantum guys, 
we're, we're moving into a new era of science. And if you look at the senior researchers who were hardcore, Bruce Lipton is an example, hardcore stem cell researcher, we're literally moving into a life after Newtonian physics. And we're moving into a life after you know, a DSM-5 diagnosis of PTSD. And, and I think that message right now, we're in a fight. We, we're bad, we're, we're knocking heads with, with, with the system, with the system. You know, the number one thing that comes back to me from people I talk to, fire chiefs, police chiefs, military personnel, they do a, a 180 and they go talk to their resident psychologist or psychiatrist. And every time they come back and they say, my person says there's not enough, inform uh, not enough research. The number one thing they say, and, and, and think about that. Think about that. Think about the innuendo in that, but like they know how much research is required. They say, yeah, it's just anecdotal. There's not enough research. Well, no, there is. There is enough. And in fact, in what we do, there's more research in what we do right now than when EMDR became evidence-based medicine 15 years ago. Mm. So, you know, we're up against the system and we're up against those sort of things, but we are moving into an era and it might take five years. It might take 10, but we're in that era. And, and Carrie, I, I'll go to you for a sec, but I always, you guys heard me say this at the last training I was able to do in Orlando before COVID shut us all down, was that I start with the metaphor of gastric ulcers. And Dr. Warren and Dr. Marshall in Australia, 1980, they discover that gastric ulcers are created by E. pylori and they start treating it with antibiotics and the world would not listen to them. The world would not listen. And Dr. Marshall was famous because he infected himself with the bacteria, got radically sick and then treated himself. And in Matt Damon's movie, Contagion, the female researcher did the same thing. And her peer said, oh, you pulled a Dr. Marshall, right? The reference being to that. Fast forward, it was in the early 1990s, CDC, a full 10, over a decade later, CDC actually accepted the Center for Disease Control that gastric ulcers were created by a bacteria. By 1995, mainstream treatment was antibiotics, before that, you had ulcers for life. They would, they would open up your stomach and cut them out. Think about that. Kind of like, you know, going to a hospital for PTSD. <laughs> and, and so in 2003, they were given a Nobel Medicine Award for that discovery. And I think that a decade from now, Bandler or Grinder or whoever created the VK dissociation will get recognized. Not me, not you, not Frank Bork but the person who actually created it. And they've been courageous for 40 years now. They've said, we can do this. And they've taken all sorts of hits, all sorts of abuse. But you know, that's the metaphor, I think. We're in this journey and we have to stay true and we have to just keep doing the work we do one-on-one -on -one with people. Uh, we have to be, I, I, I don't know if the word's right, but I, I feel we have to almost become evangelical about this. And the more you read and the more you listen, when you listen to the power of eight, when you listen to the power of intention, when you listen to um, what's possible when we access higher consciousness and we can let go of our body thinking for our minds. Joe Dispenza so, talks so clearly about our three lower energy sources doing the thinking for our mind. That when people wake up in the morning, they start thinking the same thoughts they had yesterday. They're only moments into their day when they're into the same feelings as yesterday and they're repeating the patterns of the future. The work we do is so clean now. You know, and Carrie, you've been in the psychotherapy world for 25 years. 
what we do right now is so much more clean and so much more efficient from my perspective compared to the psychotherapists I know. Like I've got a, a woman named Vicki in my office who's been a social worker for 25 years. What she's able to do in 10 hours, she couldn't even come close to it in a year of counseling before. So I think we're in this beautiful new place. And um, yeah, there's a lot of people in the system who don't want to hear what we hear. Cognitive behavioral therapists who get a client and know they're going to see them 26 times over a year. <laughs> they don't Maybe want more. Or, may, or two years or three years. I just, I just had a trauma client sent to me by, a, by a major insurance company. She had 200 hours of cognitive behavioral therapy, $24,000 of therapy for her trauma. We cleared out her three traumas in you know, hours. It's not to say her life's perfect, by the way. She has other things going on. Um, and when they say that, um, when people come and say, oh, there's just not enough research, because I hear the same thing. Well, there's not really enough research. We don't know enough about this protocol, if it really works or not. Or, it's, or even insurance companies. I've been fighting with insurance companies getting on the panels. And when I say I do NLP and I also do accelerated resolution therapy, and EMDR and some other things, um, starting to become accepted, but still, there's still a pushback. Oh, we don't really know if this works. It's, there's, and, I, and I'm thinking we have all kinds of other research like for physical health, right? We would try anything for our physical health. Why are people so resistant? to try for their emotional health because if you don't have emotional health you're probably not gonna have physical health for very long yeah. i mean they're they just go hand in hand back to you know bruce lipton and all of those the body keeps score on um, vessel van der Kolk, you know your emo your physical health is definitely impacted by your emotional health in such a big way and when we and when you talk about being evangel you know evangelized about this when when clients accept that, their life totally changes. You know, their back pain, their knee pain, their headaches, it starts changing. And and that's something that's in fact that's been a really, really new thing for me through all of this is watching some of the physical things change. Yeah. The, I mean, and I wouldn't have thought that before. Yeah. You know, I, I was but, listening to a Joe Dispenza interview and uh London Real. And they and they said uh, the guy interviewing them said, "Well, something must bug you. What do, what the, what bugs you?" He said, "You know what bugs me? What what ratchets me up? Because he always talks about downregulating, right? Staying out of your parasympathetic and staying or staying out of your sympathetic nervous, staying in your parasympathetic nervous system." And uh, he says, "When people challenge my research, when people say it's not valid." And you, you notice right now that he has gone on, you know, since he wrote the book Supernatural, which is data rich, everything he does is research based now. Everything he does. He's got these really cool uh, EEGs machines that people just put on like a cap, right? And they're there and they, they do tests before they enter the four day weekend. They do test exiting the four day weekend. And then he's got a body of anecdotal evidence of exactly what you said, as does Wim Hof. So when you start looking at these, I just pulled two um, research articles off the web that did breathing, meditation, and cold exposure. Those three things together. So they're not saying this one, this one, or this one created the effect. But when you do those three things together, you boost your uh, immune system and, and you uh, boost your infl inflammation fighters and you lower your inflammation creators and you boost your immune system. Documented, you know, in, in hardcore research, and then you have all the anecdotal stories. People, you know, 
uh, a good friend of mine, my roommate from university has been diagnosed with Parkinson's. He's uh, two years younger than me. And he just said, yeah, I probably got five to seven years, you know, reasonably years left. He's just bought, he's bought both the uh, diagnosis and the prognosis. And I keep sending him Joe Dispenza because Joe Dispenza has, has a bunch of research and anecdotes about people overcoming their Parkinson's. And my friend won't hear tell of it. What to, nope. Nope. The doctor said. The doctor said. So it's like we gave up. It's like, like, like we gave up our health to the system. This is what Wim Hof says. We've given up our immune system, the health system. We get a cold, we go to the doctor. We don't turn inside and say, what can I do? We don't look to our... We don't look to this magnificent machine we have, and it is magnificent, and say, what is it possible to do? And Joe Dispenza's model, because he's a chiropractor, and all chiropractors believe we can heal ourselves, right? So, no, we can heal ourselves. Let's, let's go there first. What is possible? You know, and our skin regenerates at a phenomenal rate. Our eyes regenerate every 24 hours. If our, if our supercomputer on board can regenerate our whole body in 30 days, if it can move, it can move a, a blood cell throughout your whole circulatory system in literally seconds, and it can replace 10 million blood cells per minute. If it can do all that, surely, to, surely it can heal things. Surely it can heal if we get in the right state. But when we're producing the wrong chemicals and thought creates chemistry, we're in trouble. You look at people who are depressed or anxious or traumatized, and you look at the comorbid diseases. Look at the comorbid disease, and Dr. Ben could talk more to that, but the comorbid diseases connected to trauma, wow, cancer, the body and knowledge coming out would be connecting trauma and cancer. Alan, to your point, um, it's so interesting as we're in these interesting times with COVID and everything, and they're talking about, you know, just all hope hangs on a, a vaccine and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm astounded. I'm astounded the amount of money that's being thrown out right now. Our, you know, I can't speak to Canada, but the U.S. government has literally paid, uh, you know, north of a billion dollars to multiple different uh, pharmaceutical companies right now for, you know, 100 million vaccines of uh, initial doses of a vaccine. Um, in many cases, up to four or 500 million more thereafter. Should the thing work, which I love, man, we're just throwing out money. And if it works, we'll take even more of that. And yet no mention that I've heard anyways of the body's immunity, building your immune system, taking care of your own health. None of that, none of it, all of it. So to, you know, to that point on sort of farming out your health, I mean, and if people can't make that connection, I think what we're really trying to aim at here is, you know, yeah, we are barking up against an institution that has sort of, said this and that and this can't be done and this is crazy you know and 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 we're the crazy ones we we look like the crazy ones according to them and we're going but but if i draw for you a perfect you know very very uh, good apples to apples comparison between this world and what is happening right now in the medical world you know most people say yeah it's kind of interesting why don't we question that why don't we que you know i'm just saying question it all right question it the, the lie that says that this thing is not a you know, it's not something that can heal or that, or that this is, you know, we need to treat um, PTSD or whatever with pharmaceuticals, whatever the message is out there. You know, I think we need to question that and we need to step, we need to step back. And we are thankful for guys like Lipton and others, you know, that have worked so tirelessly to, uh, to challenge that model. All right. I think that's a great place to just pause, let the listeners catch their breath. And uh, we'll come back even stronger after the break. You are listening to Life After PTSD. Hey, Life After PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing, but what about you? 
First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re-traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting firstorlandocounseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy. Here we are back with Life After PTSD. Jeff McLaughlin, Carrie Russo, Alan Kinerva just having a great conversation about what we're learning about trauma and what we've learned over the last 18 months or so of doing this show. So guys, let's just jump right back in. You know, Western medicine has come a long way. My, when my daughter, uh, who's 23 now, was eight, she broke her femur and it was displaced 14 degrees backwards like that. Sure. I was in Africa at the time. Um, you know, we communicated. My, my wife and I, my first wife and I, my, my daughter had to go into surgery. She had two carbon rods put in her leg that bypassed each other, formed this beautiful shape to hold her femur in place. They did not cast her. They did not put a cast on her because of these two carbon rods. And she was a, a first of a pilot study where they leave the device in. So once installed, they don't take it out. Now, the good news was the break was uh, well beyond the growth plate. So her growth wasn't impeded. And I was in a guest house in Uganda at the time. I was in Kampala uh, working for an NGO. And there was a, a, a devout Christian group that was in the guest house with me, about 12 people, and they were doing missionary work. And I was pretty distraught. It's 2005. In fact, I was radically distraught. And, but I wasn't going to make it home to be of any benefit to my daughter. And so these people came to me and they said, would you mind if we prayed for your daughter? And, and I said, no, please. And, and, they, and they did. And, and they prayed for about two hours that night. And all of this just started making sense to me when I read The Power of Eight recently. So here I am in Kampala with this group who focused their attention, not for 10 minutes like uh, McTaggart talks about, Lynn McTaggart talks about, but for a full two hours they prayed. And um, they'd asked me for images, for a picture of my daughter. And, and they, they just focused on her health, on her and they didn't focus on her healing. They focused on her getting through this event pain-free. And when, when my daughter got out of surgery at 8 p.m. Vancouver time, and now I'm in Africa 12 hours ahead, about 12 hours ahead. So it's, you know, 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. the next morning. And I, and I said, how did it go? She, my wife said she came out of surgery, didn't need any painkillers when she came out of surgery. She's great. She was home a couple days later no cast in a wheelchair. The doctor said, if you listen to your mom and dad, I won't put a cast on and you'll heal better. And away you go. So she came home and I got home. Uh, I got my birthday's May 8th. So I got home sometime between April 25th and my birthday. And, and it was phenomenal to hear my, my daughter's story because she didn't take any painkillers after that operation. And, and none of it made sense to me until I started listening to Lynn McTaggart. Now, and, and Lynn McTaggart's research about the power of intention and the power of thought cannot be dismissed. But if you want to dismiss it as woo-woo, people will, right? But that's a choice. And we have the freedom to choose. And, and we become so dependent on the system as individuals. We have a school system, a highway system, a political system, an insurance system. When we get hurt, we go to the system. We're not very good at being self-reliant at all, especially around our health. Mm. And, and in addition to that, we're actually abusive of our health. So many people, when you look at the obesity, when you look at hypertension, when you look at lifestyle diseases, 
lifestyle diseases, hypertension, heart disease, cancer are often heart uh, uh, lifestyle diseases. So not only do we depend on the system, we actually abuse ourselves knowing the system's there to save us. You know, I can just live like a fool. And when my heart clogs up, I'll go have heart surgery, right? The system will give me an operation. So you start listening to that and, and it, you either choose to be aware and, and to start being, as you say, Jeff, start questioning. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I think the people in the medical system truly believe the only cure, the only way out is a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Because they come in, they're in a construct. They're in a, uh, they're in, in this duality. So they're here that says Newtonian, Newtonian science will cause an effect, will fix us. And on the other end of the continuum, there's people like Lipton and Dispenza and us who believe, no, there's a higher consciousness, a higher power, higher ability here. And, and, and it's the, the hole that matters because God bless, there was a doctor in Vancouver who could drill two holes in my daughter's femur with a drill at an angle and put in rods. Right. You know, you guys, the femoral artery lays down the, the thigh. That break was nasty. It was ugly like that. Had any one of those shards of that bone touched the femoral artery could have taken my daughter's life. So God bless that there was Western medicine, you know, cause and effect medicine that could put those titanium rods in. Having said that, God bless those, those that those missionaries who prayed for my daughter, who understood the power of intent, the power of of the collective. Right. God bless all, of, you know, and I, I use the word God bless, uh, but just bless <laughs> that all of that was there for my daughter mm, mm. because she's a picture of health today, right? And, and had those pieces not come together, then she would not be. So I'm not discrediting one side or the other. I'm saying let's work to the collective. And what my, my angst right now is in my country, um, my government and my federal government has made apparently over 7,000 public service announcements about COVID. Over 7,000 since it started. 100 days, you know, it's over 7 to 10 a day. They have not mentioned once what a person can do for their immune system. There you go, yeah. They have not mentioned once that you should meditate, you should breathe, you should do cold exposure. They have not mentioned once about how you might impact your diet. And in fact, across North America, naturopathic doctors have been shut down from talking about the immune system. Yeah. In Canada, they have been fined for talking about the immune system up to $10,000. So that makes me say, okay, what's going on? I'm now I'm questioning what's going on. Why are we shutting down the message that, that we have some self-determining authority in us, right? And, and it's people like us and Dr. Ben, and I, there has to be a groundswell, right? There has to be a groundswell that comes up. And I look at the people, I've got quite a few close friends who have had the good fortune of spending the four-day weekend, the retreat with Lipton and, and Dispenza. Their life's changed. I can't, I cannot tell you they, they vibrate at a different frequency, right? They come out of that. Uh, a good friend of mine, Simone, she just vibrates at a different frequency. Her, she doesn't have to fake being grateful. She doesn't have to fake being appreciative. It just comes out of her pores. Now it didn't happen that weekend. She was initiated into it that weekend and she practices meditation. She practices her breathing. She does all the work, but she it's different. It's different. And in my own journey over the last, since uh, COVID started and I got the diagnosis with osteoarthritis, I've had so many people ask me, what's going on for you? Something's changing. And, and I have to just attribute it to, to the, the breathing and meditation and cold exposure, the, the being open to the possibilities. And you guys met me 
18 months ago and I was open to possibilities back then, but not at the level, not at the, not anywhere close at the level. Mm. Right. And, and it's funny that when you become open and you allow yourself to become aware, then you actually attract more, right? More. And, and, and I'm not talking about more money or more cars or more housing, just more richness in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, people, emotions, opportunities, experience, and, uh, and calm. You just start experiencing more calm. So, so Alan, if I could, I, I, I think for the three of us, as we sort of collectively land this plane, can we extend an invitation for the next, you know, for the next hundred episodes of where our journey is going to lead and the work with, uh, with emotional trauma. I won't even use that expression now, PTSD, right? But with emotional trauma, you know, we often give an action step or a call to action at the end of an episode. Hey, share this, do this or whatever. What's, what's the invitation to journey with us? What, what would that look like? If you were to say to the, the listeners, to the audience, to, to the public at large, you know, what invitation are we extending for them to, uh, you know, to, to join us on this journey? What, what would that look like? What would you say to them guys? I would say that you know, we, were, we were working last year on just changing PTSD, not calling it a disorder. But I think it makes so much more sense to just say, um, we, we all have a decision that we've made somewhere in our lives that doesn't resonate with us. You know, as, as Alan was talking a little bit ago, when we were talking about research, I thought, think about all the things that we that are research, diet, for example, that we don't do. Like, we, we know for a fact that a vegetarian and a, it, you know, low fat, whatever diet can change our lives, change inflammation in our body, and we don't do it, right? So, why are we worried about research? Why are we worried about research when we have research, we're not using it? So, why aren't we trying these things? Like, we all, every single person that I know, everyone has made some kind of decision in their life based on an event that's happened or a something they've watched, something they've seen or observed, and it's changed their life. They've made a decision that I can't be alone or I can't, you know, I'm never, my voice is can't be heard, whatever it is. Those kinds of things, they change our lives. They change who we are a as a person. We, we make, so we then make other decisions that don't always make sense. And so often by the time you get to a point where you need counseling, it's just a series of all these little decisions that we've made that have ended up in a place of depression or anxiety or whatever we've done to mess up our lives. And now we need to go, you know, have this huge change. I would invite everyone to see a therapist and just see what little decisions can you change. You know, what what's something in your life that you want to look at differently? We all have something that we want to look at differently or or think about differently, a person, an event, something that we want to feel differently about. Try, try just start starting there. I, I think in these COVID times, we're being encouraged to isolate. And even when we're out, we're encouraged to be two meters apart or two yards apart. And, and I think that what we really need to do is quit sitting at home as individuals scrolling through the internet. And I think we need to find our posse, our people, and, and get together um, and share intention, positive intention. And so if, if, if you are a traumatized person, like, like our hundredth episode had seven beautiful people on it, who that episode, that collective, that message in that evening was more powerful than any individual message there. And it was more powerful than the sum of the seven people. 
geometrically more powerful than the sum of the seven people. So I think, I think we need to find our posse and because we're so unique, each of us, I think we need to find our posse, our people that will advocate who are expansive, who are creative, who are open to the possibilities. And we need, we, we need to focus on the future, not on the past, right? We need to meet, be moving. If you're waking up and you're not designing your inspired future, then you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're not anticipating today and tomorrow, if instead you're pulling the re negative records of the past into today, you're doing yourself and your family and your friends at a service because there's magic around us everywhere. There, there is magnificence and mag magic everywhere. Sometimes we're pulling the past into the future because we don't know what else to do. And yeah. so that's where I would say. Do well, we're do. doing it, Carrie, because it's safe. It's what we know. Mm -hmm. And the unknown scares the heck out of everybody. When you do a survey of fear, unknown, the unknown about tomorrow. So the best way to make the today and tomorrow known is just repeat the past. I know if I sit down and watch TV for an hour, my mind shuts down and I feel okay. Or if I just go lay down and pull the covers over my head, or if I, you know, go get my uh, prescription of CBD oil and, uh, you know, then go to bed, I feel okay. But that's known. That is known. The unknown, letting all that go and being somebody else, that's scary as you know what. So when we find our people though, when we find, and every, because we're all unique and you guys, because you study NLP, you know, the, you know, the levels, the chunking, the, the layers and layers of uniqueness, we have to find people who resonate with us, right? So everybody, and we're all doing, so, you know, we're going to get a posse. We have a posse inside life after PTSD and some of that posse is connected to other posses. And we need, we need to accept that they're part of other posses and embrace it, but within the intention sharing the intention that we're going to make this place a better place, right? And however we do it. I'm starting a, a power of eight group that's going to meet every morning. So I'm going to attract a, a, a posse and we're going to focus on some things around trauma and, and, and just specifically just a power of eight around trauma. And then, you know, if, and, and if, those, if, my power, if my group of eight splits up into eight more groups of eight, now we're at 64. And if those all blow up, and now we're eight times 64, we're at 500 people. And, and I think that when you find a message, when you find a power to do it, I think that's what we, that's the call to action, Jeff. That's the call to action. You listen to messages like, like uh, we had on that hundredth episode and you embrace it. And then you find a way to come together and project that intention that not, we shouldn't let anybody struggle with trauma. Trauma is an injury that can heal and just spread that intention. Emotional help can be had for all. Like you can be more emotionally healthy than you are right now. Guys, good stuff. I, I think that's um, that's a, it's a, it's great to step back and reflect sometimes. And I think that we have to do that. You know, the journey for us over the last uh, year and a half or so and, and more has been so just bang, 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 just moving so quickly, you know, and advancing so quickly. And I think sometimes it's good to stop and, and almost have sort of a meditation moment ourselves where we step back and just really consider where we've been, where we're going. And please subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you're getting notifications. And you know, when episodes drop, we'll continue to do what we do uh, faithfully, consistently. Every Monday we drop an episode. Thank you for listening to Life After PTSD. To learn more about our work, visit lifeafterptsd.org. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. Become a patron at patreon.com slash lifeafterptsd. Life After PTSD is produced by Jeff McLaughlin. For production inquiries or to sponsor the show, email info at lifeafterptsd.org.